0: You are listening to CFRC 1019 FM here in Kingston, and welcome to Screening in Kingston. I'm all out of love, I'm so lost with So every once in a while, I have a realization that I've done something horribly, horribly wrong. And uh, today, about 15 minutes ago, so we're, we're actually live today on CFRC. This is screening at Kingston. This is a live show. And uh, I realized about 10, 15 minutes ago that uh, Taylor's not here today. Uh, and she did tell me that. She absolutely did. this. The, the fault of what you're about to hear is um, 100% on me. Uh, Taylor's not here. Uh, it was a long weekend here in Canada, so she, we didn't see a movie this weekend. She went home, relaxed, did a bunch of things. And um, we talked about it last week, and I thought, oh, no problem. You know, there's... You know, there's not much opening this weekend, so it looks like we're going to do something on Hobbs and Shaw, and then my friend Andrew found out that that was the show we were doing, and he texted me and said, oh, I'll come with you, and we've had Andrew on the show before, so I just naturally thought, ah, well, I'm sure him and I will talk about him coming on the show. I didn't do that either. Um, So here we are, uh, live at Screening in Kingston, and it's me by myself because I forgot that Taylor wasn't coming, didn't really think about it and thought, oh, it's gonna be fine, we do a million of these shows now, um, no problem. So I'm sure Taylor, um, wherever she is right now, if she's listening, has some some choice words and thoughts for me. I'll use small words that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. You stuck-up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf-herder. All very uh, well-earned by me um and even even though you know you think okay well you know you're someone who knows a lot about movies you reviewed Hobbs and Shaw there's lots of fan questions actually this week so there's lots of things that we can talk about um coming in the show but uh you know it's it's always different when you have that dynamic of someone else who saw the same movie because you can talk about especially this one this is one of those movies for the fast and the furious presents Hobbs and Shaw that I was thinking wow um this is going to be an interesting one to talk about. Uh, but I'm here alone. So, you know, it it was one of those situations where my brain just decided to turn off. My brain turned to me and said, You are a sad, strange little man, and you have my pity. Farewell. And, again, that's that's what happened today. My brain just turned off. I didn't know what was going on. Completely forgot that I had to do the show. And uh, here we are. we are. We're doing this. So... Here we go. Um, I do have some fan questions to go over, which, which is going to be fun, and, and I've got four of them to go through, so that's a good way to kick things off. But I will note that there's a few things that I'm sure Taylor's going to want to revisit. So just so our fans know, if you address your question to Taylor and me, I will answer today, but don't worry. I'll make sure Taylor gets an answer and to kick off the show next week uh, because, again, if you haven't figured it out already and I haven't said it enough, here I am doing the show myself Um, so we're gonna get to fan questions to kick things off as I said I'm gonna review the fast and the furious presents Hobbs and Shaw one of the longest movie titles In existence, But that is the correct movie title. They wanted you to know this is part of the Fast and the Furious franchise. So I am going to review that movie. I'm going to also talk a little bit about the box office for that movie this weekend. Because I thought there were some interesting notes um, about how well it did versus the other movies. It actually dipped quite a bit uh, in a few areas. So we're going to talk about that and visit that a little bit. And then I do have some movie headlines. So not a great plan. Well, Mike-only edition, we'll call it, uh, is happening today as well. So we'll kick things off with fan questions. There is one fan question that is a bit of a serious topic. So because I started this show in a very non-serious way, we'll we'll save that one for the end. So this is a good time to, to hear from Erica, who asks, between Mike and Taylor, who is Hobbs and who is Shaw? Now, Erica, I want you to know this, and anyone who's seen the movie will get this reference. But if you haven't, you won't. You have to understand that I'm neither Hobbes nor Shaw. I'm the guy behind the glass when those two are fighting, saying, I don't want to go in there. Um, that's, that's who I am. Uh, these two characters are, are – they're caricatures. They're beyond belief. It's, it's – I'm going to get it into my review but some of these characters and the things they do is less believable than the superhero movies I go to and see and love. So, it's interesting that that these two characters exist and and kind of watching them and I'm I'm not a huge Fast and the Furious fan. I have seen almost all the movies I would say at this point. At least certainly the the ones in the past couple of years. Um so I have a sense of of who they are, but I got to say I'm neither Hobbs nor Shaw but if if I have to to choose I'll I'll give uh Shaw who I again I believe is Jason Statham to to Taylor um and I'll be the rock but yeah they're they're caricatures and very strange and we'll get to that in my review but there you go um Nicole writes in And asks, hi, Taylor and Mike, firstly, I would happily be your TIFF point of contact because, like Taylor said, I go every year and I see a ton. Well, Nicole, um, seeing as it's just me here today and I am the producer of the show, I hereby grant you um, that you are now our official TIFF correspondent, um, which I think uh, is something that I want to cover, I want to talk about. We weren't 100% sure what we'd be able to do, and in some capacity, I'd love to go see some TIFF stuff this year, but regardless, either way, Nicole, you are hereby uh, granted our official TIFF correspondent, so there you go. Um, Secondly, She says, uh, cults have always seemed to be a very bankable topic in narrative film, documentaries, television, et cetera. Um, What with projects like Midsummer, she adds meh. So I guess she maybe agreed with Taylor's review a little bit. Um, Wild, Wild Country, Apostle, and Jonestown. Is there a cult story that we haven't seen adapted for the screen yet that you would like to see made into a movie or series? Well, this is—I mean, this is a good question, probably for Taylor, who will know a little bit more um, about different cults, being a huge horror fan. I'm sure she has some thoughts on this. But I actually do have a few that I thought of that might be interesting to see done. And this—I thought this before. Once upon a time in Hollywood, but I would actually like to see. A longer form TV series about the Manson family, but specifically around those certain members of it, because I know I saw something on Netflix. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head that really dived into Charles Manson and his life and how he got to where he was and kind of the things he did. But I like to hear from kind of the other perspective of of some of the characters that we met, who are based on on real people and once upon a time in Hollywood, who are part of the Manson family. Um, so for those of you who aren't familiar with with that Charles Manson um, and kind of the famous Manson murders were conducted by members of of his cult, which he basically called his family. they They called themselves the Manson family. weren't all actually related to him. um but it would be interesting to kind of dive into that in in more of a TV series form. But I personally, I love documentaries, but I, I would personally really be fascinated to see a short series about it in much of the similar vein to what they were giving us a taste of in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But give it to a filmmaker who cares more about history, um, and let them dive into this a little bit more. I would find that very interesting. You know, I'm I'm one of the people who really thoroughly enjoyed watching um, the the sort of ted bundy documentary after watching that film that netflix released as well uh the one that was with zach efron the one with also a very long crazy name um both of those as as sort of a back to back was very fascinating to me um even to see just as a experiment in, in someone who loves film to see the differences that they they change for narrative purposes um i'd love to see that with with something more with the manson family i was also thinking now this isn't cult related and I'm going to start off by saying I understand this isn't a cult, but the idea of certain things in life that are into entertainment that become a little bit more of sort of a niche and have a cult following. So I'm a big fan of, of Star Trek, so I really enjoyed watching the Trekkies documentary um, because it, it sort of gave me a taste of, oh, I'm, I'm a big fan of this. I'm not quite that big of a fan of it, though, like, not not to the same level as some of the other Star Trek fans that are out there and how seriously they take it and how they dive into it. I'd love to see that for things like Dungeons and Dragons. I know that um, Twilight has its own cult following within it. Um, maybe something more expansive on The Room, uh, which we got to see a little bit of uh, in a in a more fictional narrative biopic that uh, James Franco and and his um, brother Dave Franco did do uh, a while ago. But I I really feel like it would be an interesting – thing to dive into fandom and how that can almost create a cult and yes and in, in much less of a seriousness as some of the cults we're talking about that have real world consequences but to see kind of the positive impact of fans coming together because that's the one thing I will say about I can't speak for for all other fans, but in watching Trekkies is, is Star Trek united groups of people um, and and united them in a positive way. And people got a lot of very positive things out of that, um, whereas I think we always focus and see the negative things that these types of, of things can do. And that would, that would be interesting to me. I'm someone who's not particularly religious. I'm not someone who's particularly um, – a huge fan of something that it kind of consumes my life, but I can see where people go down those paths. And I think we focus on the negative quite a bit. So it would be nice to see some of the positive uh, ways that those types of things, whether it be a religion or even beliefs and faith, um, fandom, things that are part of a lot of people's day to day lives um, that aren't negative. So I, I would love to see that. Um, but in terms of like, what sort of real-life cults movie type of thing. I think there's much more to dive into the Manson family, and and I think that would be pretty fascinating to me. Um, one last thought, just because, again, I'm by myself so I can do what I want. Um, I really enjoyed... The movie boy erased that which we reviewed in the fall. So that specifically talked about these kind of religious centers that would take young men um who who are uh, gay or identify differently um and basically would try to quote unquote, fix them. Um I thought that was a very scary very real world movie that I think you could dive into a lot more if you did it as a TV series. You could really dive into these. And and what was interesting is at the end of the movie, these types of facilities still exist today all over the place. And I think that would be a very um eye-opening thing for a lot of people because i know that that movie was eye-opening for me so i think that would be another really interesting point um and and i would definitely be interested in learning more about that there's lots of things you can do out there but if we're talking about what can 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 go to this medium i think that would be kind of interesting to see as a tv series as well so thank you nicole for your question um moving on to norton who asks any thoughts on the recent trailers for gemini man with mike's love for will smith i'm surprised it hasn't come up yet Thanks. Um, yeah, uh, I've seen a couple different trailers for it. I'm definitely very interested in it. Ang Lee is a very um, visual director. I'm interested to see what will be done there. Um, I think Will Smith is a fantastic actor in the CGI to make him look younger. Uh, looks good. I mean, for those of you who don't know this movie, it's, it's essentially the plot that I can understand of it, is that um, you've got a younger version of Will Smith and an older version of Will Smith who are both assassins or some sort of government-created or some force-created assassin who, who end up um, chasing after each other, um, similar way that Looper did that type of thing. But to me, what's interesting about this movie is it's it's clear they're – maybe it's a clone type of thing. It's some sort of clone of of a younger Will Smith and old, older Will Smith. So they use the CGI to make Will Smith look younger, um, kind of like he would have in his early 20s uh, in the 90s. So it's that it's a very interesting movie for that standpoint. And and all the trailers have actually looked quite good. And I think Ann Lee's a, Ang, Ang Lee is a fantastic director. Um, Life of Pi is where I think most people um, will, know, will know some of his work. So, yeah i'm definitely interested in it i've seen the trailers i'm fascinated um i have no idea what this movie is going to be like because it did kind of come out of nowhere i was i didn't know what was happening it's nice to see will smith another summer blockbuster it comes out later this month uh, nice uh nice movie to look forward to in august because it looks like it's going to be an action movie but with more heart and maybe it's going to say something um important as well which which i always like to see So thanks, Norton, for your question. Um, Our last question today comes from Jess, and this has to do with a topic that we brought up last week. Um, Again, this might be something we circle back with with Taylor because she was here for this conversation. I don't want to exclude her thoughts on this as well. So Jess says, hi, team. I'm very confused about the talk last week about Harvey Weinstein and the Weinstein Company. Why are you saying there isn't an issue taking... Uh, taking money from that company and taking work from the Weinstein company. He's a criminal. So Jess is referring to a comment I made kind of midway through the show last week where Taylor and I were talking about Quentin Tarantino and we were talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Taylor brought up a very good point that Tarantino um, may have some questions to answer or may need to address some ways where his films are still being uh, funded or at least at the time of the Me Too movement but a year, year and a half ago, uh, we're still being funded by um, the Weinstein company. And he was still taking money from them and he was still putting projects together. Um now, once upon a time in Hollywood, and I'm not too sure what the relationship the company has with that, because as far as I know, the Weinstein Company doesn't really exist anymore. Um, but anyway, the point that I had brought up, and I think the thing that Jess is asking, cause I, I think this is specifically pointing at me as to why am I saying that we shouldn't take issue, or there isn't an issue with taking money from that company. Well, the the point I was making was, there is a massive difference between Harvey Weinstein and the Weinstein Company. Now, even though that may seem hard to understand, especially because he founded the company, and I'm not saying he wasn't a big part of it. He was. What I'm saying is, is the Weinstein company had grown to a point where there were massive amounts of producers working within the company. So imagine most companies, you would see some sort of a hierarchy. Yes, Harvey Weinstein is at the top. The point I was making was, is any producer funding work, taking on their own projects, it's unclear and we shouldn't assume as well, but it's unclear as to whether or what they knew about his activities and about the things that he was doing. Think of it in your own work. How many of you right now know what your managers do every single day on a day-to-day basis? Think about it even in terms of this show. Taylor and I get together once a week. We chat a little bit before the show, maybe see each other for three or four hours. But otherwise, we don't know what each other do on a day-to-day basis. So the point I was trying to make is you've got producers and other members of the Weinstein company who probably are completely innocent in this. And I, when I say innocent, I mean they didn't know anything. I don't think anyone who knew about this and did nothing is innocent. I think that there's levels to to what was done wrong. Harvey Weinstein's at the top as well of that as that chart. He he is the villain he is the person who should be in jail Uh, he is the person who should lose money and his freedom for the things that he did anyone that the victims went to um, and they didn't do anything they should also be punished I believe to probably close to the same level as him frankly if you're just asking my personal opinion anyone in their HR department who ignored it should be punished um, but any producers or other high level executives who weren't involved who knew nothing of this and this was a shock to them uh, should not be punished for it now again you can. everyone has to take their own truth to this and know what they believe they would do in that situation a lot of people will would feel completely justified in walking away and having nothing to do with that company and that is 100% fine and there's no problem with that and frankly if that's going to make someone comfortable that's fine Um, but there are lots of producers who probably went and struggled for work probably went and needed to do something else and the whole company folded because of his actions now a lot of those people will bounce back and smaller companies did pop out of the Weinstein company so so it's not as though that that's, that's a big deal. But should, um, you know, an, I can't name another, but Kevin Smith is a good example. Should Kevin Smith, who is a producer and director with the Weinstein Company forever, should he also be held responsible for the actions of Harvey Weinstein? And my answer to that is no. If Kevin Smith funds a movie and produces it and actually is innocent and didn't do anything, then he, he he's not at fault here. Kevin Smith didn't know what Harvey Weinstein was doing on a day-to-day basis. He had no idea. And I think that that was the point that I was trying to make, whereas I think Taylor was trying to make the point, and it, I 100% agree with that point, is you should – you should be looking back at your own work and you should be looking back at the work you do and you should as, as a film director like Quentin Tarantino. I think there are questions he may have to answer as to him continuing to work with the company or continuing to work with certain people if there are questions about um, what they've done. And, and again, we're talking about criminal acts here. So we're not talking about, oh, well, it's kind of, a, it's in a justifiable zone that we're all kind of struggling with. No, there's criminal acts that were done here and Harvey Weinstein should be punished for that. And it's the breakdown in our system that he hasn't been and still to this point isn't (laughs) like that's the thing how many people right now listening know where Harvey Weinstein is right now the answer will shock you so you know I I want to kind of make the point to people is when you When you learn about these types of things that happen, you obviously have your own decisions. Like we've talked every week about Roman Polanski and about Kevin Spacey and about all these people. You have your own decisions to make about separating the artist from the person. But in this particular case, I think it's dangerous to confuse the actions of an individual with the actions of several individuals or a company. To me, the people who are at fault here are Harvey Weinstein, every single member of the HR department, everybody who knew that something was going on and didn't do anything. And that includes Brad Pitt who a lot of people will say, oh, Brad Pitt did a great thing. He, he stood up for Gwyneth Paltrow and threatened Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, absolutely. But did Brad Pitt do anything else? No. He knew these things were happening, and he didn't do anything. He didn't do a single thing to stop it otherwise. He didn't go out and use the, his power and privilege to to battle Harvey Weinstein. Maybe he felt he couldn't. Maybe he was in the beginning of his career. There's many reasons. That's kind of the point that I'm trying to bring up. Is if you're gonna if you're gonna judge everybody on a blank on nothing, well, that's that's where we get into trouble. Look at the evidence that's out there. Try to get to know and understand the situation and know you yourself what you would do. So to Jess or anyone else out there, if you don't want to support a single movie from this point on that has ever had anything produced from the Harvey Weinstein company and, and in any way, do, doesn't matter. But future people who worked with him in the past, you're never gonna buy a DVD again. That's fine. That's 100% fine, and that is something that, that if that's going to make you comfortable and make you feel good, then go do it because that that's a good way to look at this situation and say, hey, there are, there are consequences to these people's actions. But don't blame every single person involved in that company when there were lots of people involved who I'm sure had no idea what was going on because – I don't know where – like, Taylor doesn't know where I am every day. She doesn't. So, you know, if I did something wrong, you couldn't say, well, the screening in Kingston team is the problem. Well, I am. But Taylor has no sense as, as to what's going on. Taylor's not even here today. Anything I say today on the radio, um, Taylor can't be held responsible for. So just keep those things in mind. Um, but thank you to Jess, Norton, Nicole, and Erica for your questions. Again, if you want to contribute to Screening in Kingston, it's really easy. Email us, screeninginkingston@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Find us on social media. We have Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Send us a direct message. Comment on something. We don't care. We'll find it um, and ask your questions. And we will answer them on the air. Um, another interesting point that I wanted to bring up that I, that I just thought about in terms of um, in terms of companies and 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 looking at uh, looking at different movies that that groups produce. It's interesting that that this day and age, I I think it's a good thing. People are becoming more self aware of who directed, wrote. Um, and produce projects. And I think that that is really important because um, when things like this happen, you're you're blaming and looking at the right people. Not 10, 15 years ago, people went to movies because it's like, oh, it's the newest Tom Cruise movie or it 's the newest Tom Hanks movie when in reality, actors, unless they 're producing it, have only really the the end part of the job to do. They come in and they do the, do the acting and then they leave, but they 're not involved in editing and, and production process and writing and that type of thing again, unless they 're a producer. So I do think it 's a good turn. As a society to start looking at films and movies and say okay who wrote this who produced this who directed it because they are the ones actually financially benefiting from it the most Uh, the actors have been paid again unless they're producers and they're getting a cut for the most part they've been paid and it's all done so I do think that that's again another positive out of out of um, some people becoming more aware and out of anything that happens that that's negative I'm glad to see that change is starting to happen we're having these conversations that we weren't before and uh, and I think it's I think it's a really good Sign, Um, but anyone who is interested, go Google where Harvey Weinstein is now. It's actually really interesting to see once the media got bored of the story, what continued to happen. There's things still going on now with him, Um, and it's actually it's definitely worth a read. Too much to get into now, but it's definitely worth uh, looking into. So I'm going to be reviewing Hobbs and Shaw next, and and I do want to point out um, something that I found very interesting. First, about um, these movies is, is Hobbs and Shaw was actually the title that they were really leaning on the title of the movie has never changed. It's always been the fast and the furious presents Hobbs and Shaw, but in the trailers um, and even in some of the writings out there, people were just calling it Hobbs and Shaw, but then suddenly that switched. And I think people in the marketing department got a little worried and said, okay, we have to attach this to fast and furious. So people know it's part of that universe, that universe that does make a billion dollars off of its movies. Um, so suddenly we started to hear the Fast and the Furious presents Hobson Shaw. So it's interesting to note that this weekend in terms of sales, um, I have a couple different sales numbers, but but basically it made $60 million domestically. So that includes the United States and Canada. So that's more of United States and Canada number, $60 million this weekend, which is actually a little bit lower than I think some of the other movies has opened, um, which we'll get to in a second. But worldwide, it made over $180 million worldwide. So clearly this movie has worldwide appeal beyond just canada and the united states um because if it collectively you know in the world if you include everything 180 million dollars is close to its budget so making that back overall um and that is in u.s dollars uh is is pretty good for for that uh, for that movie but it's interesting to note and money money is tough when you talk about money talk it's tough because you got to adjust for inflation here and there but in terms of estimated people going so butts and seats how many people go I've, i've got some numbers here courtesy fandom entertainment uh fandom entertainment is great if you like daily movie talk um they do a youtube channel they they basically own the screen junkies now um fandom entertainment is great because they have a daily show that just talks about movies but then they also have some all awesome great content uh honest trailers is is who was is a screen junkies projects now by by fandom entertainment so fandom is reporting that just over but about six million six and a half million people saw hobbs and shaw this weekend about six and a half million for the opening weekend so in comparison the last three, last four, actually, Fast and Furious movies had over 10 million people see them on average, with Fast and the Furious 7, which is, I think, just called Furious 7, had 17 million people go to see it. That was the last one that Paul Walker was in, um, as he tragically did pass away during the filming of that movie. Um, so when you're looking at it, it's interesting that the drop-off is quite significant. Six, 6.6, I think, million people who they're estimating saw it this weekend is kind of not quite close to how this franchise had been progressing. Over 10 million people saw Fast Five, over 11 million people Fast and the Furious Six, over 17 million Fast and the Furious Seven, and over 11 million The Fate of the Furious. And that's just opening weekend. This is just looking at the opening weekend domestically in, in the United States uh, and Canada. So it's interesting that the, you saw quite a bit of a, a drop Uh, That number is very close to the first Fast and the Furious movie where they estimated about 7 million went to see it. And again, it's interesting that these... These little one-off movies that seem to come off franchises, Star Wars started doing them as well, don't seem to do quite as well as, as franchise movies, but they're trying to bank money off of this. Um, and it's interesting to see, will they actually do anything else with this franchise? I mean, if it makes a little bit of money or breaks even or makes a little bit of money, they probably will. But uh, it's interesting to note that the numbers are quite significantly lower than, than previous movies. Is maybe fan interest in who's interested in seeing these movies. So getting to the review of Hobbs and Shaw, um, as I said, I went with my friend Andrew, who we've had on the show quite a few times. Um, and he's definitely, I would describe a Fast and the Furious fan. Um, and I one of the things I really liked about what we did last week, there's two podcasts out about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. is Taylor and I chatted, and that was chatting with someone who's not a real Quentin Tarantino fan as you all heard and then meeting up with Andrew who is a real Quentin Tarantino fan and kind of getting their both their perspectives and I'm kind of somewhere in the middle um for this it was interesting because him and I could talk as someone who's not a big Fast and the Furious fan and someone who really is um but I think we both came out of this movie with similar feelings so I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into my review and thoughts and we'll kind of get to some other stuff at the end so Hobson Shaw is (laughs) really just an action movie You, you can't really give it much more credit than that which again i'll kind of touch upon what i mean by that but basically it's just a popcorn summer blockbuster movie at its at its core um the heart that exists in this movie is super cheesy i don't think there's a lot of redeeming qualities to it as as what it actually presents itself as but it is fun at times and i will give it that credit very similar to how i felt coming out of once upon a time in hollywood there were moments in this movie that where I was I was entertained. There's moments in this movie where I laughed. Um, there's moments where it was impressive. Some of the things they were doing. But all, all in all, I'm I'm really middle ground to to not so great on this movie. I think that there's a lot of interest in this type of film, but it's not really my cup of tea. I'm not a huge fan of just what some people will call, quote-unquote, mindless action movies. I, I think if you have to turn your brain off to watch something, I don't see what, what's worth that anyway. Um, because I, I am not one of those people who believes that television and and – movies are ruining people's brains. I <laughs> to completely disagree. I think it's the same type of thing as reading a book. Um, it's just you're getting, I think, a little bit more visual. Maybe you're not using your imagination quite as much. But still, even within movies and even within storytelling, my imagination kicks in with any type of storytelling, regardless of the medium, um, even radio and podcasting, um, as as You know we talk on this medium i think they're all the same they're just different types and ways to tell stories but they're story devices so um it's interesting to to look at hobbs and shaw it's a movie with a lot of action uh, a lot of one-line cheesy things that i don't really think work um dwayne the rock johnson's great he's fantastic in this movie he he has charming charisma that i think lends it to this type of movie where you can just say okay just he's just like will smith um in that sense where you can just go okay just Start talking and start doing things, and we'll just film you, and it's going to be good. Um, And and a cameo, a little shout-out cameo to Ryan Reynolds who's in this movie for small snippets, uh, he's hilarious in it and can do the same thing. He has enough charisma and, and charm where he can come on and just say things and be funny and, and it works. Um, where this movie falters for me is actually the relationship between Hobbs and Shaw. Um, I know there's a bit of a history here in the other movies, but from what Andrew was describing to kind of fill in the blanks in my knowledge is that these two do have some quirky moments together, mainly where they're insulting each other, which happens in this movie, but really, there was not a huge relationship here. They just don't like each other. Um, I don't think Jason Statham works in, in this type of movie. I think he's talking way too much. They try to give him the same type of quirky quip one liners that Dwayne Johnson does to show personality, and to and it just doesn't work. He's not he's not funny in this movie. It's literally he crickets. I that that happen after he speaks it's Dwayne the Rock Johnson will say something and a part of you goes whoa that was that was you know that was a lot or that was wow that was that was he, this is a strong powerful person who's showing their authority in the situation or oh ha 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 that was funny or whatever that was a great insult or you have all those thoughts come in but then Jason Statham speaks and you just kind of sit there and it's like okay I kind of half understood that cuz of the way he talks and mumbles but it doesn't really land for me so to me this movie kind of got that half right where the the I think Hobbs is yeah Hobbs is Dwayne the Rock Johnson so th- the Hobbs was great and the Shaw was just kind of weak and just there and I didn't really honestly I didn't really get it um with that being said, I think individually there are great performances in this movie. I think that it has an interesting story, which I wasn't really expecting. I didn't think there to be this much thought put into the plot of this, but it was, you know, it, it was a it had thought into it. It it had moments where, um you could clearly tell that there'd been some effort put into making this story make sense it essentially evolves around idris elba's character um i think his name is brixton or something generic um where he he has a history with shaw and for things you sort of find out in the movie he's got some enhancements which is not a spoiler because that's given away in the trailer um and you basically have someone who can physically compete with the two of them in in a fight but also their they're, they're trying to accomplish something there's it's a it's a find go somewhere find this thing find this other thing type of movie which is good I think a, a nice simple plot but with some thought into it when some nuance is good uh, and that definitely worked for it in, in this movie um, but all in all I really have to say that that Hobbs and Shaw was just a really uh, like the only word I can think of is lame it was just a lame movie it just wasn't very interesting it had little nuances where i'm like oh i'm a little entertained. oh that could be interesting but didn't really go anywhere with it i didn't think idris elbert chewed the scenery or did anything especially he's a great actor but he just kind of was there and did his thing and everyone in this movie was functional in what they were supposed to do but i just don't think there is enough here to to really elevate it um it It had moments and flashes where it was exciting. But then, again, these just dumb lines will come out or things that don't make sense, and it just doesn't work. The comedy didn't really land for me in some spots. Um, So it was just a mishmash of a movie. And so whenever we get into one of these situations where this movie is just all over the place, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, I always give it a stream it, which is what I'm going to do for – The Fast and the Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. For me, this is a stream it. It is the type of movie that you should just watch on at home if it was on I used to watch a TNT and and that type of thing if, if it's just on television on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon and you flip it on whatever it's it's not going to hurt anything it just kind of exists um, but uh, I wouldn't rush out to see it unless unless you love these types of movies and you're a Fast and the Furious fan because if, if you love these types of movies hey there's you can go in you can go into it and get something out of it and you probably will enjoy it but all in all it's middle ground for me I have to give it a stream um I don't think it's as egregious as a skip it where there's nothing good out of this movie. There's there's lots of fun here. Um Dwayne Johnson's really good in it. Um Ryan Reynolds, as I said, is good in it. Vanessa Kirby's okay in it. Um, you know, there's there's enough here to to, to keep your interest and keep you entertained here and there. It did feel very long. I will say that. I was very shocked when I came out of the movie. and It was just over two hours. I thought it was two and a half easy from sitting there. So they could have easily made this a 90-minute movie, and I think it probably would have served it better. So for me, Hobbs & Shaw is a stream it. So something I want to quickly go back to is just talking about kind of these types of movies and and the idea of—and I think we've said it on the show, and even I say it all the time. It's like, oh, it's nice to turn your brain off every once in a while. What I mean by that is I think it's nice to kick back and relax, but I actually don't agree with the idea of you should just shut your brain off and watch something and let it sort of flow over you. I don't think that's an effective way to to do anything personally, but I do think that this movie has that quality of, oh, you can kind of just— try to sit back and enjoy yourself and you don't have to like yes there's plot holes and there's little things but the point of this movie is the action um and the the kind of like holy you know moments where things happen and you're like what Dwayne the Rock Johnson's holding down a helicopter with his bare hands wow that's cool but for that for some people that really lands for some people it doesn't I'm the type of person that I, I need a little bit more to it when Captain America did that in, the, in Civil War, I felt like it was a different moment because of the story that's going on. So I almost forgive that moment. And also he's a super soldier, but anyway, we'll get back to that later. But the, the point is, is that I feel like they are very different, and I just don't want to confuse the two. I don't want to sit here and say, well, The Fast and the Furious, Hobbs and Shaw is the same as Avengers Endgame. They are not the same. It's not even remotely close. It's not even the same category. Superhero movies can go way beyond your blockbuster movies in terms of the heart they can give them, in terms of the characterization they can give. And and frankly, so can action movies. There's a great movie I saw last summer, I think last summer or the summer before, called The Man from Uncle. It's based on a TV series, and I actually really enjoyed the movie. It was a just an action movie, very similar to a James Bond or a Jason Bourne or a Fast and Furious, where it was mainly an action movie, a little bit of Spy, set in a period time, so it was kind of interesting in that sense but i thought it was just good fun it was a fun movie but it had heart it had meaning it had things within the writing where you felt like oh you know these characters are growing and showing me something and it's an interesting story and there's things here so i'm not against these types of movies it's just i want to see a little bit more i want to see it step outside that laziness of oh well You know, nobody cares. We'll just write in this line and it doesn't matter. Um, Which is another point of things I didn't like about. The plot of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood—it seemed lazy. This movie just seems like sometimes it it was a little bit lazy when it it probably could have been a a little bit more. So those are some of my thoughts just on genre movies like this in general. But again, if you enjoy these types of movies, I think you'll get something cool out of Hobbs and Shaw, and you'll probably enjoy it. Um, But all in all, I have to give it a stream. It Um, not quite my my tempo, but uh, hey, uh, if it's yours, then then that's great. So we've got time now to. Get into some movie headlines. I collected these so they won't have the same Taylor flourish, but uh, let's dive into Not a Great Plan. It's time for everyone's favorite segment, beloved by every single listener, Not a Great Plan. Let's do a head count here. Your brother, the demigod, a super soldier, a living legend who kind of lives up to the legend. A man with breathtaking anger management issues, a couple of master assassins, and you! big You've managed to piss off every single one of them. That was the plan. Not a great plan. That's right, it's not a great plan, where we take a look at headlines in current movie news and see what Tony Stark thinks of them. Here's our first headline. Venom 2 sets Andy Circus as its director. Not a great plan. Not quite my temple. So I added the not quite my temple in there to explain this. I think Andy Circus is a is a very promising, good director. I think he has a lot of great qualities he to him as a director. I think he he did the Mowgli um, movie that came out after um, the Jungle, the Disney Jungle Book that went another sort of like CGI version of the Jungle Book that went right to Netflix. So he he's had opportunities. Basically, for people who didn't know him, he played Gollum. He's the expert of of that type of cgi and stop motion or i guess not stop motion but using using sort of that type of cgi to create a character he was also in the new planet of the apes movies where he played the apes so i think that he in using that kind of technology i think he's good for that the reason why it's in here and i wanted to bring it up is i don't think they should be making a venom 2 number one and number two i i don't know if he's quite my tempo as to who i would pick to direct this movie um venom was a surprising movie for me i i didn't think i would like it as much as i did but again i don't think it's of the same it belongs in any of the same categories as the current marvel movies they're creating um i know this is a sony property so technically sony's gonna do whatever they want but i just don't think the quality is up to par with some of the the movies that are out there for superheroes because there's so many superhero movies quality of story and quality of movie is really important because why would you go waste your time on something that that isn't quite up to par? It's just why X-Men I think started to fail is because the movies weren't as good um, as Marvel and it's why I think DC struggled is because their stories were terrible and they completely misused their characters and they don't know what they're doing. Um, so I just I don't think it's going to work to bring in a director who's so new and I think he should just be allowed to do his own small projects but uh, yeah, I I just don't see this working and I don't see the value of Venom 2, even though I enjoyed Venom and I got something out of it. Um, I just I don't see the point of another one. Um, so yeah, there you go. We'll see what happens next. Um, next headline. New photos from the set of Ghostbusters 2020. Not a great plan. Oh no! Oh no! They're coming in through the back door. Oh no! Oh no! Grab the children, save the children! Um, why are they doing another Ghostbusters movie after the failure that was the last Ghostbusters movie, the remake? Why? Why are they doing this? And this is a, I'm actually putting it out there for people, and I know I know the response I've received and seen online as well. It's gonna you know it's not gonna be the same cast. It's gonna go back to some of the original people and see where they are now. And yes, I get that, but it didn't work. For, forget the whole forget the whole um, women ghostbusters thing that's not why it didn't work those are those are strong actors who who were are funny and interesting it's just the script is horrible and they tried to do something with it that didn't work so now what they're just gonna forget that existed and be like okay here's where the characters you know and love are gone even though one of the actors is dead so i don't know how what they'll do with that but we're just going to bring these older people in and now they're going to do a movie i don't want to see that either i don't i don't want to see bill murray who doesn't care anymore try to do a ghostbusters movie we have a good ghostbusters movie it's called ghostbusters we have an okay ghostbusters movie called ghostbusters 2 and then we have a garbage ghostbusters movie called ghostbusters so we don't need another one i don't see why they're doing this the set photo doesn't interest me it's literally just of the car um Old and rusted so you know, hey, this isn't the old stuff. That that movie failing and, and everything in and around that movie and the way people responded to it, is everything wrong with our society? But I don't think that movie should exist. I'm not interested to see it. I have zero interest in it, and I want to spend no more time talking about it. Yes, hide your children. Um, this is a terrible, terrible idea. Okay, next headline. Can Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt save Hollywood? Not a great plan. So this came out of an article I was reading in The Guardian, not exactly a a great website, but whatever. It's accurate. Um, it's accurate enough to say that basically the article is about that it, There's an, the industry right now is obsessed with franchises and superheroes. Critics have suggested that Leonardo DiCaprio might be the last true film star. So a couple things with that. First of all, I don't think Hollywood is, is in as much trouble as, as you think. It, Hollywood is in more trouble because of the way society is changing, more so than because of Netflix and superhero movies and whatever. Those are all parts of it, but it's not one thing. Superhero movies and franchises franchises um, it's been proven time and time again, yes, that they work, but not that they work all the time. Good quality movies work, so stick to that. But anyway, um, Leonardo DiCaprio is not the last movie star out there I I can name several that I think people go to the movies I think Will Smith is still one I think Tom Cruise is still one Um, I think people like Chris Hemsworth and Chris Pratt are starting to get there where people will recognize the actor and say like I want to go see them in the movie Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep are for sure That that type of actor, I think Samuel L. Jackson is still up there. Where I think people know their names and go, "Oh, I'm going to see the like I was mentioning before. I'm going to see the Tom Cruise movie. I'm going to see the Tom Hanks movie, um, regardless of who was involved directing it and writing it and involved in it. Um, I really do think they're all still movie stars. So I, I know what the article was trying to get at is that people probably went to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because of Leonardo DiCaprio. I agree with that but i think he's not the only one whose name can still do that and i don't think that it's it's hollywood's in trouble or needs to be saved because of superhero movies and franchises and streaming i think it's called adapt or die and i think that that's what hollywood needs to be saved from hollywood needs to be saved from the the old boys club it needs to be saved from yes to to, i don't I feel like i'm just saying the same point over and over again yes the harvey weinsteins Yes, the people who have been around and have never changed and don't grow and they're, they're afraid of diversity and they're they're afraid of, of inclusion and they're afraid of bringing in different voices. Hollywood needs to be saved from those people. I don't think it needs to be saved from superhero movies or franchises because those things bring in the money that keep it going. How it's supposed to work, at least in this day and age, how I would make it work is a company like Disney would be able to create all these films and do whatever it wants with its films and make billions and billions of dollars but then use that money to do something else with it so a lot of filmmakers it's why they do these movies so the reason why robert Downey jr did iron man and made like 20 million plus dollars a movie and and did all these movies first of all it financially set him in a place where he doesn't have to do anything else ever again but because he's an artist he will he started his own film production company they did a movie that him and I think Robert Duvall were in it called The Judge um, that was actually I really liked it really fun movie Um, but he did that so he can do side projects he can do his own side projects with all that money he made doing those franchise movies and do those sort of art films that he's more interested in and expressing himself as an artist Chris Evans is doing the same thing Chris Evans is investing in movies and investing in his own production company taking the money that he was as Captain America to do all these things that is a great plan. That that is a great way to kind of achieve both. And again, it, it comes I, I really think it comes from a sense of insecurity. It's insecure people not wanting to change and grow, wanting things to stay the same, not wanting to innovate, and they're the ones who are afraid that Hollywood is dying or going somewhere or whatever. Change is not bad. Change does not mean death. Change can mean good and improvement. So I think that um, I kind of disagree with what this article was trying to say, but I also think it's not a great plan to say, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, save us. We're in trouble. No one's in trouble. It's totally fine. Um, So, yeah, that's pretty much my thoughts on that. So let's uh, get the next one going. Avengers Endgame producer wants Oscar attention for the blockbuster. Not a great plan. Not quite my tempo. So... This is this is interesting to me because I agree with the idea of this, but not in the way the current Oscars are. So two different points here. One, yeah, I think all movies that are released in in I guess the United States, because it's you know it's still a United States Hollywood thing, um, should be considered for Oscars if it's the best in said category. But that's not how the Oscars work. So unfortunately for uh, the producers of Avengers Endgame, this will never be considered for an Oscar other than maybe the technical awards because it was released too early. There are always exceptions to the rule. I mean, I know Black Panther was nominated for several Oscars here and there. But for the most part, if you want Oscars, you need to release your movie November, December, that kind of time frame. And this is not going to be the right type of thing. Now, I, again, blockbusters in general, I believe, should be included in here. If the Oscars were actually about the best, yes, and Avengers Endgame should definitely win, but maybe like, we'll stick to nominations now. Should be nominated for all of its CGI work. Should be nominated probably for a lot of its technical production value, cinematography, those types of things. Again, this is in a world where the Oscars are actually about the best movie. But... With that being said, the way the Oscars are now and the way people are now, this will never happen. So there's no point in putting up this fight again. I know he wants attention for it. Well, then just all you can do is put it out there. All you can do is put it out again, re-release the movie again. Uh, They just re-released Avengers Endgame a month after it was released the first time. Why did you do that? Why not wait till November and re-release it and do an Oscars campaign and take it seriously? Instead of doing this where people just sit around whining about oh, well, blockbusters aren't uh, given opportunities. Sure, that's true. And we're not set up to do that, and we don't respect blockbusters the way we should. But this movie is never going to get the attention you want it to in its current iteration so why not try to play the game a little bit and get it in there and get it considered and get it in the attention so people can't ignore it so they have to watch screeners and they have to be you know included in that conversation Um, I just don't think it's going to work because of the way the Oscars are now they are not about best movie they're about what is released during this time frame and what has either a political, social something that they connect to Um, not that there's anything wrong with that I would 100% put some of the best indie smaller oscar movies up against bigger ones and, and sometimes say hey the these smaller movies are better i've seen it but i've seen it both ways and just because you have a 250 million dollar budget doesn't mean your movie has to be bad it's just unfortunately a lot of them end up being lazy and it all gets lumped together captain america civil war was one of the best movies that I saw the year it came out and should have been nominated for acting Oscars. I will stick to that forever. I don't think Endgame has as much for me in that. I, I think definitely a few people could get nominated here and there for various working on that movie. Um, but again, I don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately. Um, and I think that this is the wrong way to go about it is, is to just release news and get it out and, and be talking about it and get people mad and get it a whole big like, thing. Re-release the movie, go through the channels you need to Try to get it considered that way. That's all you can do at this point unless the Oscars change and actually become about best. Okay, last headline. Milo Ventimiglia is very excited for Robert Pattinson's Batman despite being told he was too old for the role. Not a great plan. Yeah, so apparently uh, Milo Ventimiglia, which is a person we've talked about on this show uh, a lot, he starred in uh, the TV series This Is Us, uh, he was apparently told he's he's too old to play Batman, which is what I'm not a great planning this about. Um, I think he's perfectly fine to to play Batman. Um, I, I, obviously, in this iteration, they wanted someone younger. Um, he they went with Robert Pattinson because they probably wanted to show Batman at a younger time and try to grow up with the actor um, and do movies for you know ten years. It's the Deadpool joke of we need someone young enough to hold a franchise for ten years. Um, I think he would have been a great Bruce Wayne for sure. Again, I don't know Batman-wise you got until you put someone in the suit, you don't know. But I mean Milo Ventimiglia reminds me a, a lot of Christian Bale. I mean it can work. He can play the role. Um sometimes we have to remind people that time time is linear. So, you know, you can you can show Batman at any point in time you want, and he would definitely be unaged. That is close to Milo Ventimiglia. Probably he was told for this particular movie he's too old for what they wanted, but I don't think uh, he's too old to ever play Batman. I think that would be a, a ridiculous statement. Um, yeah, I think that... Uh he would he would have made a good batman he would have made a good bruce Wayne for sure um so there you go i think that uh, he, yeah good i'm glad that he's excited for robert pattinson but hey i he could play batman it's not out of the realm that you could play batman later so you got to kind of watch that but uh, i'm again bat get a little batman update in our show every once in a while is totally fine i know people are still not happy with robert pattinson uh but uh, i think uh, i think we're going to be fine i think it's going to be a, a different take but an interesting one so that's the end of uh, things here. We're, we're, we're wrapped up with not a great plan, and we're pretty much, uh, pretty much done with the show today. A um, couple just quick housekeeping things. I do want to give another shout out to some of the other programs we've done in the past week. Andrew and I sat down and did a little Quentin Tarantino talk uh, that we released as a special podcast so that's only available through our podcast network. You can go through the podcast.cfrc.ca website, or you can find us at Screening in Kingston anywhere you find podcasts um andrew and i do about 45 minutes to an hour talking about once upon a time in hollywood in more detail than taylor and i got to last week but we also dive into um tarantino's history we rank his movies uh we sort of discover which ones we liked and and didn't like and talk a little bit about that so if you are a tarantino fan you might find it interesting even if you're not i think you'll still find something in there for you so go find that it's called tarantino talk available through the podcast network Another just podcast episode I did was out of San Diego Comic-Con. I just talked about Marvel Phase 4. So if you really enjoyed this past hour of me just talking, then you would love uh, the, the Phase 4 talks. I talk for about a half an hour and just review all the news out of there, talk about all the Marvel movies that could be coming up. Uh, so a little shout-out to those two podcasts. If you don't follow us or subscribe to our podcast, go go check us out wherever you get podcasts and get those episodes as well. We're about at the end of the show. A little quick story and shout out to some some friends of mine. I have been told by three different friends that they watch this show um, because they uh, you know, they sorry, they listen to the show and they listen to it right before going to bed and often fall asleep listening to it. Um, which I found very funny and I I said that I might just randomly scream into the microphone to wake them up. I won't do that for those of you who are um, listening, but a little shout out uh, to any of my friends who are falling asleep uh, listening to to this. I hope you I hope you have sweet dreams. Um, but uh, it's very funny. A couple of my friends told me they either clean their house and put this on in the background or they they listen to it before going to bed, which I do for podcasts in general, not my own. I don't listen to my podcast before going to bed, but I listen to podcasts as, as a way to kind of uh, wind the day down and, and fall asleep to listening to it. So I thought that was kind of a neat thing to shout out. Um, let, let me know and let Taylor and I know next week, how do you listen to our show? Um, is it something that you listen to at the same time every every week or uh do you listen to it while doing other things which i know is very common for podcasts as well um little shout out to two friends of mine who you know who you are um thank you to everybody for for listening this week it did not go as poorly as i thought actually we got through this uh pretty well go see some movies as taylor always says um and remember that the screening room um, has a lot of great films on right now we've reviewed pretty much everything that's playing there and a lot of them we were very positive about so uh go go check that out and go see some movies you are a sad strange little man and you have my pity farewell